This program contains material or language which may be considered objectionable. Parental guidance is suggested. take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. You are now tuned in to Unplug CT. This conspiracy theory. Your source for all things conspiracy theory, the supernatural, mysterious legends, and UFOs and cover-ups. Why the hell wasn't I told about this place? Two words, Mr. President. Plausible deniability. With your hosts, Brockzilla. <laughs> Tony J. Mirabella. King Kong ain't got shit on me! And Mr. Money on the Bike. I got a bad feeling about this. Jeff Jackson. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Exclusively on the SMS Radio Network. I just want the truth. The truth is out there. Maybe you should find it for yourself. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Unplugged CT right here on the SNS Radio Network. As always, I am Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson, and we've got uh, one hell of a show for you tonight. It is the Halloween theme edition of Conspiracy Theory, and joining me, as always, my co-host each and every time we do this little shindig, give it up for Bronxzilla, Tony J. Mirabella. I wonder how many people listening to this remember that song from Will Smith. I don't know. That's a good question, but it is definitely a classic. And, you know, we're, we're going to spruce it up with some Halloween themes on this edition of the show. 
Yeah, a lot of uh, stuff to talk about as doing this on here on the East Coast. It's only about an hour away from Halloween, actually. Oh, you're only an hour away? Yeah, it's 11 p.m. here. Oh, man, the witching hour is approaching, my friend. Uh, and I've heard people say weird things about midnight on Halloween. I had actually heard something terrifying years ago that it, this is a real evil thing. Like that if you say the you know Lord's Prayer backwards at midnight, you'll see Satan. I actually heard that one. I was like, oh, shit. Well, that and I think isn't the uh, oh, what the fuck is that one that the kids used to always do back in school? Bloody Mary, if you say it like five times or something in a mirror on Halloween, something fucking weird happens to you? Well, yeah, that's where the whole Candyman, uh, for those who've seen those uh, movies, that's where that whole idea came from, basically. Yeah. I don't really subscribe to that particular theory, my friend, but uh, it is what it is. What have you been doing, man, on Halloween? Uh, Hallow's Eve, man. What, what's What's been going on in the world of Tony J. Mirabella? Not much, man. Just chilling, uh, getting ready for the show, trying to get in a creepy, spooky mood. <laughs> well, for me, I actually took Lexi to her little, her Halloween dance at, uh, at at her school, and man, that was some fun stuff. I took her last year, but uh, she really had a good time. Was getting her groove on, dancing with uh, with lots of kids and. The uh, it seemed like there were more Elsas there than anything else, but they did have some Star Wars people representing. I saw a little pint-sized Darth Vader, a little baby Yoda being carried by its mother who had the baby on its chest with one of those little carrier things. And the mother was dressed up like Princess Leia from A New Hope with the, the white outfit and the, the bun hairdo. Oh, man, you must have marked out like a kid i mean i know how you are with star star wars that's that's awesome there was little stormtroopers out on the dance floor man i tell you what it was it was a pretty interesting there was iron man there was one kid in fact probably about six or seven years old dressed up like freddy krueger and i thought really all right classic freddy or the remake classic freddy yeah baby yeah but who lets their kid go out as freddy krueger if they're six years old seriously who does that you know, it's weird. My mom was the type who had no problem with us watching horrors at a very young age. Now, she explained to us that, you know, it's not real and all that stuff as far as the movies go. But I saw I watched horrors from a very young age. And I, well, I mean, I didn't turn out okay, but I turned, I turned out not killing in motherfuckers. I mean, it, it is what it is. I mean, I guess it depends on the kid. I mean, I wouldn't let my six-year-old watch Freddy Krueger, but, you know. Well, based on that, I'm never going to let my kids watch it if they're going to end up like you. So, I don't know. <laughs> I, might have to, I might have to nip that in the bud right now. But, uh, no, it was fun, man. I, I uh, enjoyed the hell out of watching Lexi dance. Got a couple videos and... She was just cutting rugs out there, man. It was great. Cool, cool. Like I said, you know, it truly is a kid's holiday. You know, when you get older, it's not as much. I mean, like, I'm not going to be dressing up and going anywhere. I, I don't really go to parties and shit. So we're having a little something at work, but that's about it. Well, now, tomorrow, I do have some running around to do. Lexi's out of school, which is interesting that she'd be out of school on Halloween. Uh, we got Dakota staying the night, so they're going to have a sleepover tonight. 
And I guess Harmony and the girls are watching shows up there while we do this show. So tomorrow during the day, I'm going to have to make a, a stop at the costume shop and pick up some wigs for the girls and everything else. But I'm thinking that I might do like a Darth Maul looking face paint on my face tomorrow. Wow, that's rather complicated, isn't it? Well, you need you need the you need the black paint for the base, and then you know you add in the obviously the red in certain places. It might not be exactly like Darth Maul, but it's going to be a similar look. That's uh, that's pretty cool. I don't know. I've never done the makeup thing. The, the, I've worn masks, but like that's just been it for me. I, I don't know. I just I don't have the face for makeup. I don't know. It just doesn't work. Well, the makeup actually makes the face look better. That's why I do it. <laughs> 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 seriously bro you hide all the flaws man but uh no seriously i i haven't done anything the last couple of years since uh the ultimate father bit a couple of years ago so i i feel the need to you know do something i won't be in a full costume i might be wearing a freaking hoodie you know or or something uh i don't know if i can find a cheap ass fucking reaper cloak or a jedi cloak maybe i'll wear that and i'll go out as a variant of darth maul who knows but either way i'm gonna have fun taking my little girl trick-or-treating and you know I'm looking forward to it, man. It's going to be a fun night. It's going to be crazy this year, too, because it's it's on a Friday, which means there's no school the next day. This is the first time in a long time that Halloween's been on a Friday or, you know, sometimes on a Saturday. That's always the best, man, because you can stay out a little later. People going to be partying, getting crazy. Who knows? Yeah, who knows indeed. Well, right off the top, we talked about uh, some, of the, some of the things we want to talk about tonight, some supernatural aspects. Uh, one of the stories that we're going to start off with, uh, Bronx is going to uh, going to freshen us up to the uh, what took place in Amityville. They've made a couple of movies about Amityville. Uh, they even did a reboot. So we're going to talk about the supernatural things that happened uh, in Amityville. We're going to be talking about also, uh, for those of you that have never seen the Poltergeist movie, came out in the early 80s, had Craig T. Nelson in it and Joe Beth Williams. And it basically had a stigma of being a cursed film because a lot of the stars and actors and even production crew on the film, they came to an interesting end in their life. And we're going to look over that and give our thoughts on what we think about the alleged curse of Poltergeist. We're also going to be talking about uh, this this one you and I have both talked about before wanting to do, and this was the perfect time to do it. But our, our third story is going to deal with the curse surrounding Bruce Lee and Brandon Lee. And a lot of people think that the Chinese mafia might have had something to do with it. Lots of theories are going around. But I think both deaths are connected. And maybe it has to do with the Lee family curse. So that's something we're going to talk about as well in this program tonight. Well, see, the thing I've always found horrifying about curses in particular is it's something that one person can bestow upon another. It's something your fellow man does to you with, of course, supernatural results. And, you know, we'll talk more about what I believe about them. But, I mean, you know, coincidence in this world goes so far. And then you have to scratch your head and say, hmm. So, I mean, I don't totally discount it at all. Thank you, Arsenio. <laughs> We're like, huh? What the fuck does that mean? Who's Arsenio? If you don't get that reference, you probably shouldn't be listening to this show. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, man. Well, I tell you what, let's go ahead and jump into our first story, and I'm gonna let you really polish up the uh, the ivories and let you run with this one because this is the one you wanted to talk about, and I don't know a lot about it. I've seen the movies, but you've got the research, so I'm gonna throw it over to the Bronx Father. It's time to talk about the Amityville horror. Well, what most people know about the Amityville horror from the movies and even the book that came out was the alleged hauntings that went on. And Amityville is in uh, Long Island, New York. And it's really, really something. Former address was 112 Ocean Avenue. It's since been changed. But I'm going to start off with before the hauntings, what went down in this place at around 6.30 p.m. on Wednesday, November 13th, 1974, 23-year-old Ronald Defoe Jr. entered Henry's Bar in Amityville, Long Island, and declared, you've got to help me. I think my mother and father are shot. Defoe and a small group of people went to 112 Ocean Avenue, which was located near the bar, and found that Defoe's parents were indeed dead. One of the group, Joe Yeswit, made an emergency call to the Suffolk County Police who searched the house and found that six members of the same family were dead in their beds. Ronald Defoe Jr. was the eldest son of the family and was also known as Butch, and he was taken to the police station for his own protection at first. After an interview with Defoe, however, it exposed serious inconsistencies in his versions of events. The following day, he confessed to carrying out the killings himself, and the alleged hitman had an alibi proving he was out of state at the time of the killings. So at first they thought it was a hitman, but then he had an alibi. Defoe told detectives, once I started, I just couldn't stop. It went so fast. It went so fast, and he admitted that he had taken a bath and redressed detailed where he had discarded evidence like blood-stained clothes and the Marlin rifle and cartridges before arriving to work as usual. Now, he was convicted. He later said that he, he later said in an interview for Newsday that his sister Dawn killed their family and their distraught mother killed all of Ronald's siblings before Defoe Jr. killed his mother. In any event, they didn't believe him. He was not acquitted of anything. But that's not where the creepy part even begins. That basically is just some disturbing shit that a lunatic did. Yeah, that's, that's basically just the backstory. I mean, we haven't got to the meat and potatoes, but this is quite the setup, Bronx. Well, here's the meat and potatoes, man. In December of 1975... George and Kathy Lutz and their three children moved into 112 Ocean Avenue. And 13 months before the Lutzes moved in, these crimes happened. The house remained empty. And then in December of 1975, these guys bought the house at a bargain price of $80,000 for a six-bedroom house. They moved in December 19th, and a lot of the former family's furniture, the murdered family's furniture, was included with the house. 
which I find really interesting. But here's where the stuff starts. Some of the experiences that the Lutz family had after moving into this house are as follows. George would wake up around 3.15 every morning and would go out to check the boathouse. Later, he would learn that this was the estimated time of the Defoe killings. The house was plagued by swarms of flies despite the winter weather. Kathy had vivid nightmares about the murders and discovered the order in which they occurred and the rooms where they took place. The Lutz children also began sleeping on their stomachs in the same way the dead bodies in the murders had been found. Kathy would feel a sensation as if being embraced in a loving manner by an unseen force. Now, this one is really scary. George discovered a small hidden room around four feet by five feet behind shelving in the basement. The walls were painted red and the room did not appear to be in the blueprints of the house. The room came to be known as the Red Room. This room had a profound effect on their dog, Harry, who refused to go near it as if sensing something ominous. There were cold spots and out odors, excuse me, of perfume and excrement in areas of the house where no drafts or piping would explain the source. I don't know what excrement has to do with wind. That's probably a typo. While tending to the fire, George and Kathy saw the image of a demon with with half its head blown out. The Lutz's five-year-old daughter, Missy, developed an imaginary friend named Jody, a demonic pig-like creature with glowing red eyes. And there are instances and instances here that go on and on. Cloven hoof prints attributed to an enormous pig appeared in the snow outside the house on New Year's Day, 1976. Green gelatin-like substances would ooze from walls in the hallway. A 12-inch crucifix hung in the living room by Kathy revolved until it was upside down. On one occasion, Kathy heard what sounded like a window being opened and closed through the sewing room door, even though she was sure no one was there. After (laughs) deciding that something was wrong with their house, they could not explain rationally. The Lutzes carried out a blessing of their own. George held a silver crucifix while they both recited the Lord's Prayer. And while in the living room, George allegedly heard a chorus of voices asking them, will you stop? Wow. They got in touch with a priest finally, Father Mancuso. And the Lutzes finally decided to take some belongings and stay at Kathy's mother's house in nearby Deer Park, New York, until they had sorted out all these problems. Now they claim the phenomena followed them there. And according to the book and their accounts, there was a greenish slime coming up the staircase towards them. And this was in their mom's house. On January 14, 1976, George and Kathy Lutz, with their three children and their dog, Harry, left 112 Ocean Avenue, leaving all of their possessions behind. 
The next day, a mover came in to remove all of the possessions to send them to the Lutzes. Now, the mover reported no paranormal activity in the house. Now, the book that was published, which was not an act of fiction, it was based on this family story, sold around 10 million copies from its numerous editions. And it was based, the Amityville Horror film was loosely based on the real life activities that supposedly happened in this house. Now, the house still exists. I couldn't find out if anyone lives there currently. But but to prevent tourists from trying to go find this place, they've actually changed the address. So that's basically it in a nutshell. What started off as a killing by some deranged maniac turned into, at least in my area here in the East Coast, one of the most famous haunting stories of all time. I heard this story when I was a little boy. Wow. I mean, you know... See, I, I can't dismiss, if it was just a husband saying this, if it was just a wife saying it, if it was just one of the kids saying it, okay. But for a whole family to agree that this was going on, I, I don't, can't even think of scientific explanations unless there was some kind of freaking gas leak in the house that was making them all nuts. But I mean, obviously something had to be going on. And the, the you know, the whole... Uh, from the movie that was the first thing that these people heard when they moved into the house was that night a voice telling them to get out on day one okay first of all note to anybody listening to this if you're ever in the market to buy a house do your research make sure that you don't buy a house that people have been killed in okay if, if people have died in the house that they're selling for cheap that's not a good sign okay and furthermore, if you do buy a house very cheap because people were murdered there, and in your first night you hear fucking the voice saying, get out, get the fuck out. Like, and not a, sorry, bro. No, I mean, I mean, like, seriously, get the fuck out. You know, why is it Eddie Murphy or somebody did a, did a fucking uh, a comedic uh, stand-up on this years ago, and I don't remember who it was. It was like, you ever notice how white people, you know, they got they they move into these haunted houses and you know it's like oh it's okay we'll get rid of the ghosts and everything you know if a black person did that the first time they heard get get the fuck out they'd be gone. It was Eddie Murphy, man. I'm telling you, baby, this house is beautiful, man. There's kids playing outside, and you know we got a nice lawn out front. Came at a great price. Good schools. We can raise our kids here. This is so great. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was Eddie Murphy. That's right. But, you know, I mean, I mean, that's oh, that just it makes you wonder, though, if prior to the Lutzes moving in, if the family that was there before, what was the name of the guy that killed everybody? Oh, man. Ronald. Uh, Isn't that what you said? Yeah. Give me one second. I will. My memory is terrible. I apologize. But, yeah, I mean, he he what I wonder sometimes though, when I read this story and go back and think about this story was, was there something already in the house? That, that's what I was getting at. Ronald Defoe. Yeah. Okay. So Ronald, maybe Ronald was possessed by an entity in the house, a, a demon, a spirit, you know, it doesn't really go into detail as, as to what his life was like before that. Was he involved in a cult? 
Did he ever use a Ouija board? I mean, which you shouldn't fucking do because that's fucking bad news. Stay the fuck away from those things. Mm, see, I don't know if it, it's hard for me to say. Like things like Ouija boards, like stuff like that, really never bothered me. I don't know, but but obviously, you know. And then the furniture was still in there too. I mean, that to me, that would definitely be the line. You yeah, know, but. The thing about the Ouija board, you got to think about Bronx. You're inviting an entity into into your home. You're you're reaching out through the unknown to make contact with a spirit. And I fully believe that every day we're surrounded by spirits of people who've passed away. Maybe that you know whether you believe in a heaven or hell. I believe that some spirits, when they die, are trapped in a limbo. And they still roam the earth or their death was so bad, they're bound to a certain place. That's why you have haunted houses. People that typically get murdered in a house and, you know, meet their end in a very violent end. You know, that, that's the cause of poltergeists and demonic uh, entities. Well, I mean, here, here's my belief in it. And I know a lot of people because I'm not a very religious person, but perhaps it's to... I don't know, to comfort myself with the thought of death. I don't believe that anything as complex and brilliant as the human mind can just stop. You know, I, I, when people say, oh, when you die, you're just you're, you're dead. You just stop. You cease to exist. I don't believe that. There has to be something that remains of a person. There has to be. Now, it may not even be supernatural. It, there might be a scientific reason. Maybe some part of us gets caught like in the quantum foam, as they say. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe there is a scientific explanation for it that we're just nowhere near finding. But I don't believe we just stop. I agree with you. I believe that we have to go somewhere and continue on in some form. In a lot of different religions, death you know, is the beginning of a new life. You know, you are born into this world, into this flesh, into this crude matter, you know, and a, a lot of religions think that when you die, the next phase of your life begins. You know, you, you leave this crude uh, body and, and you're an ominous, not an ominous, you're a luminous body. You know, your, your spirit is free and you undertake the second part of your journey. The Egyptians believe that. When you died, that was the beginning of your journey. Well, that's why the Egyptians buried their pharaohs with so many objects, precious objects that were close to their lives because they figured they'd need them again. That's why pyramids were built. Well, that, you know, aliens. Well, yeah, true that. I mean, if you want to go with the, you know, explanation that they want to give us, that's why they were done. But, I mean, that's, we've gone over that, but... You know, as far as spirits, as far as this house, I just, like I said, uh, it's too many people saying that some weird stuff was happening. I mean, I just, too many coincidences. And then a room that wasn't in the blueprints. I mean, since when, and you're a guy who's worked construction before, since when is there anything missing from the blueprints unless it's a government building? Yeah, unless it's, you know, (laughs) unless it's a secret government building. Uh, that's hiding something, then yeah. I mean, typically in your house blueprints, they don't make an extra room. That's usually something that's done outside of when the house was built. That's an outside contract thing. 
Uh, so yeah, that's that's a little suspicious. You know, and I mean, th- these people who didn't know the details of the murders, you know, experienced all these things. I mean, the guy waking up, you know, every night at the same time that you know the, someone was killed, and the guy, oh, right, the kids sleeping on their stomachs. That's it. Doesn't mention if they were not used to doing that. But I mean, I sleep on my stomach. But I mean, it's just. Maybe if that's not the way they normally slept, I mean, that's weird. And dogs, and nobody can tell me, and I have experienced this firsthand when I had my dog. The night before we had that minor earthquake in this city, my dog was howling like crazy, something he never did in the three years I had him. Dogs sent shit we can't even imagine. And for this dog to be fine everywhere else in the house but not want to go in that room, I mean, come on. He had to sense something. Well, yeah, you know, animals do have that sixth sense. I mean, cats have it. Dogs have it. Uh, you know, in, in, in most cases, they don't know how to tell you that something's wrong. That's why they howl or that's why they do the things that they do. And, and you know, look, at the end of the day, when I hear this story, I mean, I have to believe there's some kind of demonic entity. Something is happening in that house and maybe it was there long before, uh, you know, the uh, Ronald, Def- what was his name, DeFazio? Defoe. Defoe moved into that house. You know, for all we know, that, it could, that, that house could have a history of really bad things happening to it. Unfortunately, the only history we know is the murders and the experience of the Lutz family. Or my theory is because what he did, did unfortunately doesn't stray that far from the norm of a lot of lunatics perhaps he was the catalyst you know he killed all these people in such a way that like you said their spirits remain there maybe it was the family because there's no records of these people ever being hurt they weren't hurt or injured in any way maybe it was just the family trying to tell them what happened and it you know, in the translation, it comes out wrong. You know, maybe it was them trying to get justice and tell their side of the story. That's kind of what I believe. But you're right. There could have been something in there even before that. Who knows? Well, you know, I've heard stories, you know, I used to watch Unsolved Mysteries all the time. One of my favorite shows. Me too. And, you know, Robert Stack had that really creepy voice. You know, just the music was creepy and the way he would tell the stories. And I remember a story uh that revolved around uh i think it was a bunk bed that this family had bought and after they bought it i guess they bought it second hand and after they bought it all kinds of weird shit was happening in their house you know like they the kids were having real bad nightmares the husband was waking up in the middle of the night and he'd have scratches on him and uh just all kinds of crazy shit And he went to work one night and came home at like 2 o'clock in the morning. And it looked like his garage was on fire. And so he rushed into the house. And when he looked back out there, it wasn't on fire anymore. And they got the fuck out of the house. And the bunk bed was demolished and destroyed. And the family that moved into the house after they lived there had no problems. But the theory is that the... uh, poltergeist or the evil spirit that was haunting them was attached to the bunk bed wow yeah i mean there's so many stories man i mean it's like i mean i 
I grew up in a big house. You know, I grew up in a three-story house with a finished basement. You know, as a little kid, you would I would hear. I'm convinced that the house I lived in when I was a kid, something was up. Now, I never had any bad experiences in there. I had nothing but good experiences. And there's talk that there are spirits out there who are good and don't, you know, won't bother you, but will occasionally make themselves known. I'm telling you. I used to hear sounds at night, you know, things. And everyone in your family, when you're a little kid, says, oh, it's the house settling. You know, it's just a change in temperature. Of course, when you're six, seven years old, the first thing you think to yourself is bullshit. Okay. Yeah. It, it was just weird. Well, you know, here, here's an even more bizarre story for you. I have never encountered this in the eight years I've lived in this house. But the people we rented this house from really nice people uh some member of their family some years ago that lived here an older man named john supposedly died here and supposedly his spirit has has made itself known in this house before in eight years i have never seen or heard from john but even if i do i'm not worried because he was a peaceful gentle man and loved kids and with my kids, I mean, if, if the spirit of John does reside in this house, I'm not worried because he overlooks and protects my daughters. And they've never seen him. They've never once said, you know, I saw this man or they've never once been freaked out of anything in this house. So I don't know that I fully believe that, that that happened or that his spirit is here. But if it was, I would believe that John is not a malevolent spirit. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're they're all necessarily bad. I mean, e- even in the Amityville story, again, I don't know that these spirits were necessarily bad. Maybe they, again, it was the family just trying to tell their story. I, I don't know, but I mean, this has been a legend in New York. I mean, the house is still there. They changed the address, but I mean, if you really want to find it, people know where the hell it is. Uh, it was never demolished, to my knowledge. I know if you, I rode once on the Long Island Railroad, and you passed pretty close to it. So, you know, it's 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 just weird. I just thought it was a good local story, but you know, my my opinion is I don't discount this. If if that's our ultimate conspiracy theory take, I do not discount this. I believe that there was definitely something weird going on in that house. That was supernatural. I'm not going to sit here and say five family members were all crazy. No way. Well, no, you're right. And I I fully believe in the presence of of, uh, supernatural entities. I believe that, you know, I'm not a real religious person. And I still come to grips with, you know, the whole God and the devil and and heaven and hell. I, I still come to grips with that because... You know, we've talked about this before. To me, a lot of the stuff that's in the Bible, I consider a fairy tale. Because that's what it reads like. You know, I'm not saying I don't believe in a higher power. I don't necessarily have any faith in organized religion. That's for sure. But I do believe that when we die, our spirit goes somewhere. And some roam the earth, and some are stuck. They're bound for whatever reason. So I do believe in the presence of ghosts, and I believe in poltergeist. 
Because ultimately, we all die, and the spirit goes somewhere. And in really bad situations, a spirit may be bound to the place that they died. So I believe in it. Absolutely. 100%. No lie. Well, you talk about the negative of it. I agree with you. I believe in it, too. Why spirits are bound to certain things? Well, you know, maybe it's the unit. The universe always likes to try to come to a, a zero, always likes to balance things out. And perhaps injustice is in itself a force. And when someone dies and justice isn't served, they they're bound until it is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just throwing theories out there. But I definitely agree with you. I, I think. I can't. It would it would destroy my mind to think that like after death there's nothing. That would that would completely ruin me as a man. So I stick to that belief too that we go somewhere, whether we stay here and get to roam around or maybe we're free to explore wherever we want. That's my hope. You know, I can just go anywhere. But I don't know, and unfortunately we never will know because that's something that I don't think science will ever be able to solve. We'll just never know. And I think we, we need that mystery in our lives. Well, you know, the Native American Indian tribes always believed that when a person dies, their spirit becomes one with nature. They become part of the wind. You know, they, they are free, essentially, to roam. And, you know, even if you look in movies and mythologies, like, for, for example... Star Wars, the Force. How many times have you heard that when, uh, you know, in Star Wars, when you die, you become one with the Force? You know, it's same thing as the the Native Americans. You become one with nature. So I, I fully believe in that. Yeah, and again, you know, this is just our opinions. I know there's some people who don't believe in anything. Well, that's fine. I mean, if you don't believe, you know, it's like the alien story, which we've gone over so many times. You can't sit and discount thousands of stories. And I would think that stories of the supernatural even predate the alien stories. You can you can read books written in the you know 500s, not 1500s, 500s, and they talk about ghosts. It's it's ingrained in our history so much that there's no way it's all a massive delusion by people over over the last tens of thousands of years. No freaking way. No, I agree. Well, I think I you know I think we covered that we're both in agreement that uh, ghosts exist, and uh, we're going to take our first commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about poltergeist. We're going to talk about the curse of the poltergeist movie. With more right here on Unplugged CT right after this. Now listen, this ain't no make-believe Come on, open your eyes and see Now get up, get up and follow me Cause I'm gonna show you what the future will be Too much wasted time Hola, this is Jenny Mundo And you're listening to the SNS Radio Network
Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. Are you looking for the latest wrestling news? Well, then you should check out www.wrestling-online.com. Sign up for the newsletter. It's been around for 16 years. It's one of the longest-running newsletters on the Internet today. It comes right to your inbox three to four times a week, depending on how busy the news week is. Want that access on your phone? They also have mobile apps for your iOS, Apple, and BlackBerry. The archives of all the unplugged shows, as well as columns. You can also follow WrestlingOnline.com on Twitter, at WrestlingOnline. Or check them out on Facebook, www.facebook slash WrestlingOnline. It's that simple. Wrestling-Online.com is the official news source of the SNS Radio Network. And perhaps you should make it your official news source as well. Once again, that's www.wrestling-online.com. Hey guys and girls, this is Ashley Richardson, and you can join me here on the SNS Radio Network every week for SNS Sticks and Flicks, where we cover video gaming news, whether it be handhelds, mobiles, last generation PC, or the next gen of the Wii U, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. Did somebody say 4? No, I didn't mean you 4. Anyway, there's also movie and entertainment news, as well as perhaps the occasional review. And I'll give you the lowdown on whether it's the right movie or show for you. Did somebody say four? Look, I didn't mean you four. Just go away, okay? There's also a possibility of other stuff being on the show. It could be sports, it could be politics, it could be news, it could be what I had for lunch. Yeah, I don't know, but it'll be all for you. Nothing? Seriously, nothing? Anyway, all that on SNS Sticks and Flicks here on the SNS Radio Network and all for free. Did somebody say free? Ah, I'm done. What? Was it something I said? Each and every midweek with Chuck W. And each weekend with William Walkie Walker and Mindwipe. Exclusively on the SNS Radio Network and the Chris Jones Gaming Network. Yeah. This is...
This is going to be fun. That was a fucking shitty version of the Crypt Keeper there. That wasn't too bad. Let me see. Let me, let, me see if I can, let me see if I can do this right. I used to be able to do this voice really well. Good evening, boys and ghouls. Crypty here. Wow. If you added, which I'm sure they did to him, if you recorded a line like that and we upped the pitch just a little bit, it would be perfect. Yeah, I, I just I used to be able to do that voice really well. It's been years since I've actually done it, but uh, I love me some Tales from the Crypt, man. That was that was one of the best fucking shows to watch back in the day. The the best episodic horror show ever. And the Crypt Keeper was fucking great. Funny as fuck. Yeah. One of my favorites was the one with uh, Whoopi Goldberg and Danny Partridge. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites, and I can't remember the name of it, but it had uh, Joe Pontigliano, who they who is known in Hollywood as Joey Pants. Um, you remember him. He was in the Ready to Rumble movie as the fucking evil promoter, and he's been in just about everything. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he plays uh, a guy that ends up with nine lives. I guess this doctor does some experiment where he kills yes. the cat and, and gives the dude the nine lives and so he he goes around and dies to make money and then his last trick he forgets that he doesn't have nine lives because the doctor killed the cat to give him the rest of the lives and so he he dies in the coffin and never gets the big payoff and he's in the coffin they have a cut scene where he remembers all the deaths and in his mind he goes the cat died once. The cat died once, and, and it ends. Oh, dude, that was so... And, and it was so well thought out, too. That's what I liked about it. It wasn't just stupid horror. It was thought out. Yeah, there were some good ones, man. I mean, Tales from the Crypt was so good that they even spawned movies from that. You know, the was it Bordello of Blood and Demon Knight was the first one? And, uh, you know... Just fucking good shit, man. Tales from the Crypt. I wish I wish it would come back. 
I wish they could bring it back, reboot it with the same guy as the Crypt Keeper and, and have a modern edge to it on HBO, but probably never happened. Yeah, I didn't really care for the movies. I saw them. I don't even remember them. I really didn't care for them at all. It didn't hold the same uh, as the, the, the show. Tales from the Dark Side was another good one. Another good one was the Friday the 13th series, which had nothing to do with Jason. It was a totally different series about cursed objects. There was some good week-to-week episodic horror things back in the day you don't see that too much anymore except like what walking dead oh man so you're refreshing my memory man because i can remember back in fucking 1991 92 on a saturday night you know it'd be like fucking 10 o'clock and i could i could turn on the tv and i could watch monsters which was another good one tales from the crypt tale no not tales from the crypt tales from the dark side it was monsters and tales from the dark side Right. And I would watch that shit. That would be an hour of, you know, some fucking scary shit on a Saturday night every week. Loved it. You know what was brutally scary, too? And they actually did his origin story. Freddy's New Nightmares was awesome. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, I, I today you just don't get that same feel anymore. You know, you don't have those good shows like Tales from... I wish I could find that shit on DVD or in syndication. I would watch that shit again. I'm sure they're probably out there on the internet to download episode by episode. I don't know if DVDs were ever even made of Tales from the Crypt. I, I know videotapes were. I don't know if DVDs ever were made. Yeah, that's true. Well, you know, enough reminiscing about some of our, uh, our younger exploits, the things we used to watch. Again, some of the best TV series that no longer exist. We do have a couple of topics we need to talk about, and I want to branch off. And keep it in the same vein. We're going to go ahead and talk about Poltergeist. And if you don't know what happened in this movie, if you haven't seen Poltergeist, it actually came out in 1982. But let me let me break this down for you. When your cherubic little daughter communicates with spirits living inside your television set, your backyard becomes a swimming pool of muddy skeletons. There's a wolf beast demon living in your children's closet. And Steven Spielberg's genius gets into the mix. That's a formula for blockbuster scariness. And so it was. Released in 1982, the original Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper and produced by Spielberg, was an instant success and is considered to be a masterpiece of American horror cinema. The film focuses on the Freelings, a middle-class family led by a youthful dashing Craig T. Nelson from Coach, whose life is upturned when a number of paranormal and vicious events occur in their California home, and their daughter Carol Ann is abducted through her bedroom closet by a group of ghosts who are under the control of a monster demon called the Beast. After learning their house sits atop a Native American burial ground, the Freelings spend their time attempting to retrieve Carol Ann, all the while stay sane as they get smacked around, terrorized, and ultimately goobered on in a bathtub. The original Poltergeist was successfully horrifying that two other installments followed, Poltergeist 2, The Other Side, in 1986, and Poltergeist 3 in 1988. But if you ask me, the original will always be the best. With Poltergeist success came a creepy mystique that the classic film is shrouded in real-life tragedies, and some interpret this as a curse. 
The majority of the fuel for the alleged curse stems from the deaths of multiple cast members. In total, four cast members died during the soon... Dur- excuse me. In total, four cast members died during and soon after the filming of the series. Two of these were tragic deaths were highly unexpected and puzzling, leading many fans to speculate on the trilogy's eerie implications. Carol Ann Freeling, the young focal point of the series, was played by Heather O'Rourke, only six years old when the first Poltergeist film was released. O'Rourke captivated audiences with her stark blonde hair, doll-like appearance, and big, inquisitive eyes. Sadly, however, she was misdiagnosed with Crohn's disease in 1987, the following year. O'Rourke fell ill again, and her symptoms were casually attributed to the flu. A day later, she collapsed and suffered a cardiac arrest. After being airlifted to a children's hospital in San Diego, O'Rourke died during an operation to correct a bowel obstruction, and it was later believed that she had been suffering from a congenital intestinal abnormal. A congenital intestinal abnormality. Wow. And they didn't catch that. Wow. But that's that's weird that, you know, she was diagnosed with Crohn's disease in 1987 and then died a year after. And she was the main focal point of the, of the, full, the first Poltergeist movie. She was abducted by Poltergeist. She was pulled into the TV set. Yeah. I remember that scene. Yeah. It was... It was it was horrifically comical in a way. Brother, when I was growing up, my parents would always tell me, if you are not watching TV, turn it off. And, and to this day, if I walk into a room and there's static on a fucking TV set, which there's not because now there's cable. But you remember back in the day, the analog, you'd have the static. Right. And I used to be freaked out when I would walk into a house and the TV set was on and there was static. I'd be like, turn that shit off. Now. Yeah, I remember you used to, sometimes you would stand there and think you see shit in the static. Because you can. Your eyes play tricks on you. I mean, you, you know, you, uh, your brain tries to calculate when, when you're looking at things. When you look up the clouds, you see shapes because your brain wants you to decipher things. That's why you see stuff. When, when you have a TV on and you've got static and you're looking at the snow in the static, you see shapes because your mind is playing tricks on you. Well, yeah, and I mean, and, and the way it was portrayed in the movie, I don't know how they did it with the technology they had back then. But she was like, for those who haven't seen the movie, I definitely, especially tomorrow night, in fact, you know what? I may actually go back and watch this tomorrow night because I haven't seen the movie in a long time. She's intermingled in the static and her voice is coming like from a distance. Mommy, daddy, help me. Yeah, that that scene did fuck me a bit up when I first saw it. That was a scary fucking movie. Uh, but but we have more deaths that, that were a little crazy during this time. Dominique Dunn, who played the original sister, Dana Freeling, met an equally tragic and unforeseen fate. In 1982, Dunn separated from her partner, John Sweeney. In November of that year, she showed up at Dunn's house, pleading for her to take him back. When she refused, Sweeney grabbed Dunn's neck, choked her until she was unconscious, and left her to die in her Hollywood Holmes driveway. Sweeney was sentenced to six and a half years in prison, but was released after three years and seven months. The, that, that's interesting there. First of all, how do you get released after six and a half years for killing somebody? 
Yeah. Wow. That's pretty fucked up. Unless some evidence came out that they didn't want people to know about that maybe he didn't do it or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's true. The The other two cast member deaths, while unfortunate, were not as unpredictable or mysterious. The evil preacher Kane from Poltergeist 2 was played by Julian Beck. In 1983, Beck had been diagnosed with stomach cancer, which took his life soon after he finished work on the second installment of the series. The same film was met with further tragedy. After Will Sampson, who played Taylor, the Native American shaman, died after undergoing a heart-lung transplant, which they had a very slim survival rate. I remember him most of all from that movie. When he kept warning them, yeah, wow. And I tell you what, man, that old man that that we were just talking about that, that passed away, uh, Julian Beck, that played the the evil preacher Kane, right? In the second one, that was a creepy looking motherfucker. See, now it's interesting. I will confess, I did not see the sequels. I only saw the first one. I just thought it. I don't know why. I just thought maybe it couldn't be topped, and I didn't. I haven't seen the sequels, actually. Oh, the second one was pretty fucking crazy. I, I don't remember seeing the third one. I remember seeing one and two. I might have to go brush back on these in the next couple of days and watch them again. But that guy was fucking creepy as hell. So that's that's interesting that both of them died. But other things happened as well. Cast deaths were not the only agents of the curse's proliferation. As other peculiar and creepy legends surround the film franchise, Jo Beth Williams, who played mom Diane Freeling in the first two films, claimed that director Steven Spielberg insisted on using actual human skeletons as props in an attempt to save money. At the time, they were cheaper than plastic skeletons. Williams' claim has never been verified, but it persists to this day in the lore surrounding the film's curse. Finally, in an effort to further creep out everyone involved, Will Sampson, the real-life medicine man who passed away due to circumstances mentioned above, performed an authentic exorcism after shooting wrapped up one night. One can only imagine how this made the other cast members feel. Cursed or not, the Poltergeist trilogy is a hallmark of American horror. Do yourself a favor this Halloween. Indulge in one, if not all, of the film's thrills. Nah. Nah, look, I don't care what you're paying me. I am not, okay, standing there and going to do fucking films with real skeletons. I mean, I, I kind of think that one's urban legend. I mean, shit, make them out of paper mache. Jesus. I, You know, I don't know. Paper mache seems like it'd be too, uh, too uh, f- uh, fragile. But, it, sure. I mean, look, it's never been proven, but... If that was the case, that says a lot right there. I, you know, I wouldn't do anything with real human skeletons, first of all, because I wouldn't disrespect the dead. Well, now, if someone donates their body to science and they die at peace with that, then I, I guess I would say it's okay. I don't think their spirit will get angry because they knew, you know, they knew what they were going to what was going to happen. Well, but see, I mean, that, that's a whole nother pill right there. You talk about when people donate their body to science. That's one thing. Right. But if, in fact, Steven Spielberg used real skeletons and not fake ones because it was cheaper to use the real ones, I don't know that he would have gotten them from people who donated their bodies to science. More than likely, it would have been some other means. 
yeah, who knows? I mean, I don't even, that's, ugh. you know, that's what, the, the one thing I've learned in life is you don't. And I mean, this is just, I don't care if you're the biggest atheist on the planet who doesn't believe in God, the devil, Jesus, if you believe in nothing, you don't mess with, with dead people. You don't, dis, you know, desecrate dead people in any way. You have respect. Maybe that's just something that was hammered into me, and it should be for everyone. Have respect. I mean, if these were bodies that, you know, they never signed off to be in a fucking film. I mean, really? Wow. Yeah, no shit. I, you know, I'm just, I, I'm real big about not desecrating graves. You know, if, if I was ever to find out that I was going to buy a house that was built on a fucking, you know, former graveyard, uh, ain't happening. I lived two blocks as a kid. From a block here in the Bronx, it's one city block, and the guy who owned it, his name was Rapasati. He was an Italian guy, and that's what we called it, Rapasati. And there was nothing built, nothing built on that block. No houses, nothing. It was a giant lot, and I was told as a kid because it was a, it's an Indian burial ground. And it was a spooky fucking block. Now, I should have tried to look this up today, but the story just came to my mind. If this was legit, if it really was, because I was never able to confirm or deny that as a kid. But it was most certainly just this gigantic block long empty space. And it was spooky. You you felt the presence there. Wow. That's kind of freaky, dude. I have to check Google Earth pictures and see if anything was built there as of now. I mean, I'm going back 25 years, but... I mean, I'm telling you, man. Look, I've experienced some weird shit. That's why I don't discount all any of this. Well, yeah, you and I talked off air about some of the stuff, and and you know, I, my my stepmother, God rest her soul, passed away in 2007. Her and my my father had been divorced for a number of years, but they were still close after the divorce. Uh, and toward the end, there things got really bad for her. She was in a home. She had diabetes really bad. And the diabetes just ruined her. I mean, when they got married in 1986, uh, and they got divorced, I want to say, in maybe 97 or 98. Yeah. So they were married for a good little while. And like I said, they, they remained friends and close after the divorce. You know, they they just had differences of opinions on things. You know, I don't need to to go any further than that. But he still did right by her and still, you know, made sure that she was taken care of even before she was put in the home. You know, he made sure that she was taken care of. And she told me a story a long time ago uh, about her father when he passed away. I guess they found a tape-recorded message. Uh, they had this tape recorder set up, I guess, in the living room or in somebody's room, and it had a blank tape on it. There was nothing on the tape. And shortly after he died, they were messing around with his tape recorder, and his voice was on it. And it was just his voice saying, I love you. And that's it. That's, that's all that was on the tape. And she fully believes that, that her dad, after he passed away, had left a message somehow on that cassette tape. Which freaked me the fuck out because I think I was like, I don't know, 12 when she told me this. But, 
you know, I have no reason to discount that it's not true. Her mother backed it up, and so did her brothers and sisters. You know, so, again, I, I absolutely believe that there are forces out there. Well, I mean, you know, being where I figured let's tell one personal one each. I mean, this one doesn't involve me. I actually spoke to my mom a few hours before we did this, and I just, out of respect, asked her if she minded if I told this story. And she said, no, go ahead. A few years after my grandfather passed away, and he was just, I don't think I could love or respect any man more than I did my grandfather. He was the greatest guy on planet Earth. I consider him my father. And she was sleeping one night. Now, she will refuse to discount this as a dream. She refuses flatly. And while she was laying in bed, this black cloak suddenly covered her. This is, I swear to God, guys, true story. And she was being smothered. She couldn't breathe. And she just felt like she was going to die. And she called out to my grandfather, her father, to help her. And when she called out to him, this thing like shuddered and just flew off. And she claimed she still, to this day, she'll claim she saw it fly off. And then she just came to herself and, and everything was okay. And nothing like that's ever happened since. But she believes to this day that my grandfather's spirit saved her from something. She believes that. She will not stray from that one inch, if you ask her. And my mom's a competent woman. She, she's, you know, rock solid, but she sticks to that. Wow. You know, I mean, it's just, it, it's weird. I mean, I don't have any that that extensive, but I mean, personally, but I mean, I just thought that was kind of a creepy one to tell, you know. That's uh, some more than creepy. That's pretty fucking scary, man. Uh, I. You know, I've had nightmares and shit, but I've never had anything like that, you know, ever happen to me. And I hope I never do, man. That's uh, wow. Yeah, ditto. I mean, but I mean, going back to the whole poltergeist thing regarding the, the curse. I mean, and this is this is kind of straying a little bit because we, we're we're talking about curses now, which is, you know, I, I said this to you before. The terrifying thing about a curse is most of the time it's something that's consciously bestowed upon someone else to do harm. You know, it's like, I don't know if I hate anyone enough or if I had the power to curse them, I would. Because it seems like it's something that you that's either put on you by another person, as in the movie Thinner, that's another one you guys should see, or because you do something so atrocious like desecrate a dead body that a force out there says oh no you went too far and you get cursed so it's really it's really strange i mean the egyptians there were stories of, of them digging up tombs and the tomb warning them you're going to be cursed and, and it's similar to this story those some of those people have died strangely yeah. By entering those tombs. That's a good point. I was going to bring that up. You you beat me to it. But, yeah, you, you look at the uh, – a lot of the writings and a lot of the history books talk about when they were digging up stuff, you know, under the Great Pyramids and they were finding tombs, a lot of them had curses on them for people who would desecrate the, the tomb. And a lot of those people that, that dug those graves up met an interesting end. Yeah, I mean, uh, come on. I mean, it's just – you see, again, me, I'm the – common sense type guy 
I'm ready to hit that brick with my last shovel, you know, shovel swing or whatever and get into that tomb and I see that warning, I leave. I don't care what you're paying me, I leave. But as is the case, people just don't use common sense. You've seen the Mummy movies, right? Oh, are you kidding me, bro? Every single one of them. All right. Well, you remember the second one when uh, those guys are, are basically looking for the O'Connells to kill them, the thugs, and yeah. they end up getting all the stuff. And, and the one guy's like, this place is cursed, you know, and it was like, everything's cursed. This is cursed. That is cursed. And what happens to him in the end? They had his organs and he sucked the life out of all of them and retrieved his organs because they were cursed. Well, yeah, that was the story arc from the first one as well. Anyone who opened that box, you know, you're cursed. He's the person that you that you know you're the person he's going to take the stuff from to regenerate. That was in one and two. Yeah, I remember that. But it was like, and the box says right on there, he who opens this box will have his organs and fluids assimilated. Nope, open it. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just lore. It's not real. I think there is something to a curse. I mean, even even in the religion voodoo, you know, they can hex you and put curses on you. Uh, you know, it's just, it's a strange thing, a curse, my friend. It's very strange. And I fully believe in them, uh, you know. And I hope to God I never get, you know, any kind of curse put on me. Well, I mean, there's also the theory that a curse works only if the person knows their curse because psychologically then it works. It's your brain working against you. That's the placebo effect. Yeah. It, if Even if that's true, it's still a weird thing that your brain would go that far to give you, you know, incur, incurable disease just because, you know, if I just tell someone, hey, man, you're cursed, is that enough for your mind to destroy your body? I don't know. I don't believe that. I think there's something more to it. I, I think so, too. I think there has to be a little more to it. But, you know, certain studies have shown that, you know, if, if you believe you can take a pill and it's going to it's going to cure you that nine times out of 10, even if you're taking just a water pill, a placebo, you think it's, you know, like like a lot of these people sell these pills. Oh, well, if you take this, it'll uh, it'll resolve you of this illness. And it doesn't. It's just your belief in it. You know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, I don't know that I believe that if you believe in a curse that you will be cursed. I think there's more to it than that. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, I just, uh, I don't know. It's 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 weird. It's just I'm not going to fuck with anyone. I mean, even the fucking Kennedys. I mean, we're, we're not going to get into this story, but even the Kennedys, they claim, might have been cursed. And I heard a rumor that the Kennedy uh, patriarch, the original one who came here, evicted some gypsies from their homes. And this old gypsy lady spit on his shadow. Oh, and said wow. your family's cursed. Well, there might be something to that. Uh, just quickly before we take this next break and, and jump into the Brandon and, and Bruce Lee curse, I was reading something today that I found interesting. Uh, when I was looking up, you know, like some of the top ten hauntings or whatever. Yeah. The White House is allegedly uh, haunted. Have you have you heard any of these stories? Boy, I hope so. <laughs> Well, I hear you. I hear you. The White House is allegedly haunted. In fact, Winston Churchill, back in the day when he stayed at the White House, uh, talks about an encounter that he had with the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. He had just gotten out of the bathtub and was wearing absolutely nothing. 
when the apparition, the ghost of Abraham Lincoln appeared in front of him. And he saw the visual of Abraham Lincoln there, and he quipped to Abraham Lincoln, I'm sorry, Mr. President, it seems you have me at a disadvantage. And he claims that the ghost of Abraham Lincoln gave him a smile and then disappeared. Well, we also have to keep in mind that uh, Winston Churchill put vodka in his Cheerios. He's not the only one that's had those, you know, I've heard Lincoln, his bedroom, especially in the White House. People have, have seen his ghost. They have had encounters with something that they thought was Abe Lincoln. I don't discount it. I could believe it. I mean, a building of that historical significance. I mean, it's like, you know, here in New York, we've got, uh, which is a place, even if you're not religious, it's a shame you and Harmony didn't get to go. Uh, St. Patrick's Cathedral. It is quite beautiful. And yeah, there have been stories there too. And, and any historical building, even Grand Central Station, you know, there's, there's, a lot of the workers there say there's rooms where weird shit goes on. So, I mean, who knows? Well, who knows how many people have been fucking killed and fucking buried somewhere there? Oh, who who knows? And and the thing about New York that's really weird is like Manhattan. Manhattan is a giant Indian burial ground. I mean, they've dug new subway tunnels and stuff and found, because don't forget, this island was very predominantly Indian before the white man got here. So there's a lot of areas in Manhattan where, where that goes on. It's, you know, something to ponder. No doubt. Well, we're going to take our next commercial break. When we come back, we're going to delve into the curse of the Lee family. You're listening to Unplug CT right here on the SNS Radio Network. Ooh, Chavo! Chavo, Yo, what's going on? This is Chavo Guerrero Jr., and you're listening to Unplugged on the SNS Network. Viva la raza! Hey everybody, this is the Bronx Father to tell you about the Get In The Zone podcast every weekend right here on the SNS Radio Network with myself, my co-host Anthony Farley, and bringing you the TNA recap. No, God, please, no, no! L Train. We also cover SmackDown, some news, and you might even get moments like this. Oh, my brother, testify! Wow. Oh, Lord. Oh, my God. <laughs> wow, that, that, was, that wasn't half bad. <laughs> what the f***? <laughs> to quote, see, since I'm imitating, 
since I'm imitating Devon tonight, I might as well run the gamut of black wrestlers and go with Booker T. Tell me I did not just hear that. It's one of those things to edit. (laughs) (laughs) To edit or not to edit, that is the question. For the reaction to Anthony, you cannot edit this one. Oh, shit. Anthony's dead. He's just done. Oh, we might as well just end the show right now. So... Check out the archive every single weekend and drop us an email anytime. SNS get in the zone at gmail.com. Right here on the SNS Radio Network. Hey guys, it's me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson. And I want to take a moment to let you guys know that personally, I appreciate the support that we've had here on the SNS Radio Network over the years. And I'm here to tell you about a new way that you can help us out and show your support for the SNS Radio Network. We now have a way for you to uh, donate to the SNS Radio Network. If you go to the SNSRadioNetwork.com main page, scroll down, there is now a donate button on the page. Now, I'm not saying you have to donate to us, but your donation is very appreciated as we do a lot of hard work on the SNS Radio Network, spend a lot of our time and our own money to make sure that you guys have uh, entertaining podcasts and live shows on the SNS Radio Network. So to those who have donated so far, on behalf of the SNS Radio Network, we appreciate you and your continued support. And for those that will donate in the future, again, we thank you for your support of the SNS Radio Network. www.snsradionetwork.com, providing you with free podcasts since 2010. Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson, exclusively on the SNS Radio Network. Have a safe and happy Halloween.
I'd have to say probably one of the creepiest fucking music beds that have ever played the original Halloween fucking theme from the Halloween movies. Oh, that shit's creepy, bro. You know, I can play it. That's a scary thing. It's only like two fucking notes, but it was so simple, but yet so, yeah, that is, <clears throat> when I heard that shit coming back from break, I was like, this motherfucker, because that is creepy. Yeah, Bronx sent me a private message. He goes, I can't sleep after this, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I don't blame you, man. I don't blame you. That is pretty fucking creepy. We're, we're, we're really keeping the creepy ambiance on the show tonight. Halloween one, the best ending of any horror movie in history where Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, has shot Michael about four times and he Michael falls from the roof and he looks over the edge and Michael is gone and that music begins to play and all you hear is... And that movie to this day, it has to be one of the top three horror movies ever made. The original Halloween, brilliant. Yeah, the Rob Zombie remake, not so good, but it wasn't horrible. It wasn't horrible, but it definitely wasn't uh, as good as the first Halloween. See, the first Rob Zombie movie I'm okay with. The second one was the drizzling shits i don't know that i saw halloween 2 by rob zombie don't don't waste your time to tell you the truth i think i have it just doesn't it it seems vague to me i don't remember much about it like halloween 1 and halloween 2 i liked fucking halloween 3 was the lamest fucking halloween movie of all time because it had absolutely shit all to do with fucking michael myers that was the one where it was called the season of the witch and it dealt with the stupid halloween masks that would kill you. Okay, I'm going to end unplugged right here because when I do this, JJ will not be able to get this out of his head and not be able to finish the podcast. 15 days to Halloween, 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 Silver Shamrock. <laughs> Just for that, I'm going to fucking go an endless loop of the Halloween music the rest of the fucking show. Good night, bitch. <laughs> Yeah, that movie was so corny. And, you know, seeing kids getting killed at the end, that was like, yeah, that, that sucked. I mean, if, if you watch the original Halloween series, see one, two, four, five, six. Well, maybe not so much six, but like three. Don't take, watch it. Yeah, please don't. It doesn't exist. It, it never should have been made. It was ridiculous. The actors in it sucked. The plot was shitty. It was just fucking ridiculous. Yeah, no doubt, man. Just, you know, wow. No doubt. Well, let's go ahead and break down this last story so we can call it a night and you can be terrified all night. Yeah, this one, oh, this was one that my grandmother told me as a kid because she was a, she's a massive Bruce Lee mark. I mean, it was funny. She, like, saw every movie Bruce Lee was ever in. She told me this one, but. It's going to be interesting to rehear it now. Well, let's go ahead and get this underway. The Lee Curse. Brandon Lee, son of the famed martial arts star Bruce Lee, was shot and killed during the making of his breakout film, The Crow. Although his death was deemed accidental, 
many other speculations have arisen. What if his death was not an accident, but maybe murder? There were many similarities between both Bruce and Brandon Lee's death, leaving open the possibility of conspiracy. Two major theories lend hand to the thought of foul play. The Chinese mafia theory of the triads theory hold credence through evidence in their links to Bruce and Brandon. Other theories have been considered to prove possible as well. Too many coincidences occurred on set and during the investigation to state that this death was an accident. With all of the evidence collected from both deaths, the possibility that both were merely fatal accidents can be ruled out and replaced with the fact that they were meticulously planned murders. Bruce Lee, martial arts star, is pronounced dead on July 20th, 1973. He's rushed to the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, but is dead before arrival. All the details of his death remain unclear and somewhat covered up. Lee and film producer Raymond Chow met at Lee's home to discuss the making of Lee's film, Game of Death. They worked for about two hours before heading over to Betty Tingpei's house. She was the lead actress in the film, by the way. The three went over the script, and soon after, Chow left. Lee began to complain of a headache, and then Tingpei gave him a tablet of uh, Equasec, a super aspirin, which was prescribed for her. Around 9 p.m., Chow called Tingpei's to ask why she and Lee had never showed up for dinner as planned. Tingpei told Chow that she could not wake Lee. He could not be revived and later died of what doctors concluded as an edema or swelling of the brain. Why hadn't Tingpei woken Lee up earlier to meet for dinner as planned? And if she did try to and she could not, why did she not immediately phone the police? Most of all, why would you give Lee something not prescribed for him specifically? These questions and many others make Bruce Lee's death seem less like an accident and more like a murder. On March 30, 1993, in Wilmington, North Carolina, a tragedy occurred. Brandon Lee prepares to complete what is the last night of scenes that involve weapons. After this night, there is only eight more nights of shooting before the crow is complete. Brandon speaks to his mother on the phone. After indicating his joy in this being the final night of the weapon scenes, he ends the conversation and heads to the set. The scene in which Eric Draven walks in on his beloved Shelley being raped is to be shot. Michael Massey, otherwise known as Fun Boy, is handed the pistol, which he is to point and fire at Brandon, who played the role of Eric Draven. As he walks into the room, Alex Proyas calls for quiet and then action. Brandon walks in, Michael Massey pulls the trigger, Brandon falls to the ground, and Alex Proyas calls cut. Everyone relaxes and starts moving around. Brandon, however, is still on the ground. Known for his practical jokes, Brandon is thought to be extending the scene. However, it becomes apparent that it's no joke and tragedy has just occurred. They find him profusely bleeding from his abdomen and an ambulance is immediately called. It is said that the Chinese mafia killed Bruce Lee as a punishment for exposing many martial arts secrets known in the U.S. as karate. They had warned Bruce Lee over, over and over about exposing karate. He was the first to do this work of this kind, but the more popular he became, the more movies he made, the bigger the audience and the more karate on film, especially in the American market. After his death, which is still shrouded in mystery, his son Brandon came onto the scene. As son of the foremost martial arts ever 
As son of the foremost martial artist ever known, he picked up where his father left off. It, however, was much quicker that he met his demise, allegedly at the hands of the same Chinese mafia again shrouded in mystery. The Triads, a group of organized criminals with ties to the entertainment industry in Hong Kong, China, Taiwan, are top suspects in the murder of both Bruce and Brandon Lee. The Triads were angry with Bruce Lee for refusing to work their movies and in turn held a grudge against his son Brandon. The fact that the Triads had ties with the entertainment industry only begs more questions. Was Brandon's murder an inside job? The answer could be yes, but the explanation would be far more complex. The precautions taken that day may give the thought of the theory of foul play. No one thought to give Brandon a protective vest or have actor Michael Massey aim the weapon away from him, a common and necessary procedure for close-up shots within 20 feet of an actor. The weapons supervisor was also sent home that day. On the day of the close-up shot involving weapons and a squib, which is also an explosive device, all precautions should be taken. Sending the weapons supervisor home was an unwise and idiotic mistake. Having the weapons supervisor leave endangers all of the actors and the crew. Michael Massey was shot di- Michael Massey was shot directly at Brandon with no vest on. There was also a squib set off on his arm. In a grocery bag, a very dangerous stunt, and yet still no weapons supervisor was present. For such a dangerous shot, no one in his or her right mind would have taken such a safety net. These incidents only further prove the triad's involvement, allegedly, in Brandon's death. Being connected to the film industry made the set easily accessible to the triads. Brandon's murder occurred on the night of the shooting with weapons. Anyone with any sense knew it was that day or never. The triads carefully planned this day, allegedly, or tried previous days, failed, and knew this was their best chance. They stood to gain something from the movie The Crow. Brandon was allegedly murdered only eight days before filming ended, leaving only a few scenes to be shot. Having very little left to shoot, the movie could be completed by a double. The timing of his death was so easy to work around, it was, it was most likely planned. It was allegedly a murder, and the theory that the triad's involvement is very likely. Although both theories, the Chinese mafia and the triads, are highly likely, many others are speculative speculative and possible. Brandon Lee, being son of famed Chinese martial artist legend Bruce Lee, left him enemy to many. Those who were jealous of his father's presence even after death sought to tarnish the Lee name and end the bloodline by eliminating his only son. Any person with a grudge against Bruce could have wanted to harm Brandon, his film career, or even end his life. There were many strange happenings on the set before Brandon was fatally shot and some eerie coincidences. First of all, the scene in which Brandon dies in real life was also supposed to be the scene where the Eric Draven character is brutally murdered. Another movie was being filmed at the same time as The Crow called Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. The movie was to document Brandon's father's work. Both of the sets were run with strange incidents. The first day of shooting The Crow, a worker touched a high-voltage wire and was electrocuted on a studio backlot. An upset employee ran his car through the studio's plaster shop. A construction worker slipped, causing a screwdriver to go through his hand. The weather was also very uncooperative. It caused damage to some of the sets. One of the Crow's publicists was injured in a minor car accident. A drive-by shooting took place just a few streets away from one of the Crow's locations. Due to the strange occurrences, the case was supposed to remain open. Also, 
the medical examiner who was said to have performed Brandon Lee's autopsy and who went on record to say he had performed it had not, in fact, even been present at the time. He signed the autopsy report as well, yet he did not perform it. It is still unknown why he would lie and sign off on the autopsy as if he'd done it himself. To add to the possibility of murder on the set of The Crow, the night of his death, it was bustling with several dozen people. The list includes actors, camera operators, lighting experts, producers, directors, and numerous other employees. With that many people on set, tired from 50 uh, straight days of shooting, who would have kept their eye on the handgun that ended Brandon Lee's life? With only eight days left of filming, the crew just strained to reach the end. With all the confusion, who, who would have worried about the gun? No one. And it could have easily been taken and loaded with real bullets. Too many coincidences occurred to deem his death as accidental. Although Bruce and Brandon Lee's deaths occurred some 20 years apart, many connections link the two. Both while in the process of making a film, both of their deaths brought suspicions of conspiracy. Also, in Bruce, in Bruce Lee's final film, Game of Death, he played an actor who was severely wounded by a live bullet on set, exactly how his son was fatally shot. There were many opportunities to kill both Bruce and Brandon, and both deaths could have made it look like accidents. The accidental deaths of two actors while filming movies in the same bloodline are highly unlikely. All evidence points to only one theory, and to the alleged truth. Bruce and Brandon were conspired against and were murdered. Though through investigation and review of evidence, one could easily conclude that Brandon Lee's death was no accident. The connections with his father, Bruce Lee, are uncanny. Too many theories complete disprove their deaths as, accident, as accidents. All necessary safety precautions that were removed that fatal day for such a dangerous shot were reckless yet carefully mapped out. This lack of precaution ended young Brandon's life. No one will put himself or herself in a position to be sued for reckless endangerment unless they had a motive or a hidden agenda. Also, the chances of a father and son, both actors being accidentally killed while filming a movie, are less than likely. In summation, Brandon Lee's death is connected to his father's, and both were possibly murdered, and the killer has long since covered their tracks. I would think that this one... <clears throat> is murder in both cases because I don't see how a real bullet can get put in a prop gun. It's funny because at first I thought the scene where I'm very familiar with the crow movie. It's one of my favorites. I was under the assumption that the scene where he was killed was the scene in the bedroom with fun boy after he had come back from the dead. No, it's no, the it's, one at the beginning when he's still mortal and gets shot. Yeah, it's the one where they're in the middle of fucking raping her, and he's he's having to watch, and they fucking shoot him. Yeah. The, the thing about this, though, that makes it weird that it's a murder plot, unless this actor that played Fun Boy was in on it, and I am not accusing this guy of anything. But if you put a real bullet in a gun, what if he had fired and hit Brandon in the shoulder? Well, now Brandon's going to live and everyone in that studio is going to know somehow a real round gotten there. Well, I don't think that he had anything. To, I don't think Michael Massey, other than being the guy that pulled the trigger on a gun that was supposed to be filled with blanks. I don't think he had any. I mean, obviously, I don't think he was involved in any plot. I just think that if it was a murder plot, if the triads or the Chinese did have it done. It was the perfect alibi. It was the perfect way to explain it away as an accident. 
it just to me it just doesn't make sense for two actors, father and son, to die in almost eerie coincidences like that. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, but my thing though too, and maybe I'm not thinking about bloodlines and you know Chinese history predates U.S. history by thousands of years. I mean, I don't know how deep this goes. I'm I'm not an expert, but if somebody offends you, I. In a way, I can understand wanting to take them out. But someone's kid who did nothing and had nothing to do with, you know, what his father was doing, that's kind of fucking cold. Well, I don't know how Chinese, uh, you know, vengeance works. But, I mean, obviously, if you've ever heard anything about Bruce Lee, you know that when he first came to America and he began teaching uh, Americans how to use karate, that they told him, that his life was in danger and to stop because if he didn't stop, they would kill him. And he continued to do it anyway. He defied them and said, you know what? I can do whatever I want. This is America. It's the land of the free, blah, 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 blah. If I want to teach people karate, I'm going to do it. And you know how the Chinese honor system is. You know, when you defy those people, things happen, man. Well, the the bigger thing, too, is I think, there was a lot about Bruce Lee himself that wasn't normally human. I mean, I saw some of the things that he did, like the, the one finger push up and stuff like that. And the guy's body wasn't even human. I mean, if you look at the old Bruce Lee movies, the guy is nothing but fucking muscle, man. It, it wouldn't have surprised me if the guy had like 1% body fat. Okay. He was amazing. I mean, I have a friend, Charlie, who's, a second degree black belt, which means he's a pretty badass. And he, he even says among people who train in martial arts, Bruce Lee is just legendary. He's, he's considered the, the be all end all. And I mean, he was, I mean, come on, man, return of the dragon, that fight scene. I don't give a shit what you film today with special effects. That fight scene between him and fucking Chuck Norris was sick. Absolutely sick. That was a different movie. <laughs> no, it was Return of the Dragon, bro. I thought you were talking about Enter the Dragon at first. No, Enter the Dragon, I didn't really care for. Return of the Dragon is when he, at the end, he fights um, uh, Chuck Norris on the mountain. And then he has respect for Chuck because he, even though he broke his leg, he continued to try to fight. And Bruce Lee, mercy kills him, breaks his neck, and then lays his shirt over him and gets very angry because... They forced this guy to, you know, it was a great movie. Return of the Dragon, see it. I'll have to chat. Maybe I missed that one. I remember that. I remember hearing about the uh, the fight with Chuck Norris, and I swore I've seen it. I just, I, for some reason, I thought that was a different movie. No, nah, it's Return of the Dragon, man. Check it out. It is, it is, at oh, dude, it is awesome. You have to see that. But see, here, here's here's the eerie coincidence. I mean, there's so many in this in this story. Okay, Brandon Lee had made. A couple of movies prior to The Crow. Uh, I, I know he was in a movie with Dolph Lundgren uh, that was like Showdown in Little Tokyo or some shit. And he was his sidekick. He did another one with Powers Booth, and I can't think of the name of that one. And his big breakout role was The Crow. That was the movie that was going to propel him to stardom. With Bruce Lee... In America, he did the Green Hornet, and it didn't last long. 
and he was supposed to do Kung Fu. That was his idea. He pitched Kung Fu to the executives, and they went with David Carradine instead of him. And so he went to to Hong Kong and made all these movies. And then they brought him back and gave him the role in Enter the Dragon. And that was going to be his breakout mainstream America role that was going to get him noticed and was going to make him a huge star in America. Same as his son. And he died. I think even before the movie came out, I think he died like a week or two or maybe it was a week or two after the movie came out. Yeah, Enter the Dragon was the U.S. one that was, as a matter of fact, as stupid as this sounds, I think Return of the Dragon was the first movie. Yes, it was. Return of the Dragon came first, obviously, and that one was Japanese. It's, uh, you know, it's voiceovered. But Enter the Dragon was filmed in English. I remember that now. Well, it was Chinese. He wasn't making them in Japan. It was just Chinese. Sorry, you're right. Chinese. I'm sorry. I meant to say Chinese. I know what you meant to say. That's fine. I'm not saying they all look alike. Let's not even get into that. No, Enter the Dragon had John Saxon, who was the father in Nightmare on Elm Street. And right. it had Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And have you ever watched any of the Jean-Claude Van Damme movies where, uh, like, Bloodsport? Where, yeah, sure. Where it's, the, it's the Kumite, and he, he fought that big guy. I don't think it's Chong Lee. It's the, it's the other guy. He was in Double Impact. He's that big fucking muscled-up Chinese guy. Mm-hmm. He was in. That's where he actually. His name is Bolo Young, or Young, and that, that was the name of the character in Enter the Dragon. So he changed his name to Bolo Young after that, and then he did a lot of those movies with Jean Claude Van Damme, and I've seen him do some other movies, but that's the first thing I ever saw him in. See, one of the theories that I was told many moons ago, I'm talking when I was a kid, is that he had a headache and was given an innocent pill, but because his body was so pure that he had, like, never taken a drug in his life, that it, it I don't buy that. I mean, obviously, first of all, you should never give anyone, anyone, anything that's prescribed for you. Exactly. The- the thing that's weird, though, is Bruce being a guy who probably took better care of his body than any other human in modern history. Why would he even agree to take a pill? That's what sounds weird to me. Well, did you see the movie uh, Dragon, the Bruce Lee story? A long time ago. But, yeah, I saw it. There is a scene in the movie. Well, when the movie starts out, you know, um, when Bruce is born, they, they mask him with a girl's name. Because his father had had this had been fighting demons, you know, and I think that they, they tried to have a child before Bruce and it was they thought it was killed by this curse. The demon took their child. And so they tried to shadow the fact that Bruce had been born and his father had never fully gotten rid of the demon. And so it was passed on to Bruce. And there's that one scene in the movie Dragon where he's fighting the demon and yeah. and. In this scene, Brandon is involved in the scene as well as a young child. And Bruce tells Brandon to run so that he can vanquish the demon. And so the belief is that this demon, this curse, if you will, was passed from Bruce Lee's father to Bruce and ultimately took Brandon as well. 
And the thing about Brandon was, I mean, it, I really think he would have had a huge future because if you, like I said, I love The Crow. I've seen it a million times. I even have the, the graphic novel, the original comic, because um, the concept is so brilliant. But he was great. I mean, great. And I had never seen Brandon in anything up until that. And I mean, he played that character of Eric Draven so well. If you've read the graphic novel, he really took that character and, and made something of it. it. It was a great performance. I mean, if he would have lived, he would have, I guarantee, he would have become a huge star. Well, he would have been a big action star for sure, you know, and it is sad. Like I said, it, it, it seems like both of these weren't an accident, you know? No way. I just, you know, and, and this is my theory. I'm not saying that it's true, but I, I believe that either the Chinese or the triad, somebody had those those guys killed because it just doesn't make sense any other way. It just doesn't. I just yeah. don't get it, you know, and, and you can believe that it was accidental if you want. That's fine. Most people will do that. You can believe that it was an ancient Chinese curse or you can believe that they were both murdered. And I think of the three, I think that they were murdered. I absolutely do. There's just too many coincidences. Yeah, and I know people listening to this now are expecting us to take the curse angle because it's, it's you know, a Halloween show. But, hey, murderers are scary, too. The fact that there's a Chinese cult out there with so much power that they got this done, that's scary enough. But I agree. I'm not so sure I'm willing to, to dismiss this one as a curse. I think there's definitely, which is the heart of this show, a conspiracy here and they were they were both killed i mean no and bruce lee getting a headache i mean look anyone can get a headache but again the guy was so you know so much of a purist as far as taking care of himself that a headache really i mean i just it's too weird man it's just too weird and whatever whatever became of this woman who gave him that pill i mean that that right there I don't know about back then, but I know today that's against the law. If I give JJ a pill prescribed for me and he gets violently sick, I can be charged. Well, it's funny because Harmony, you know, has uh, at any given time. I mean, you know, I've told you this in the past. She's she has problems with her back, which she's going to be having surgery here in February. Right. But she has given me some of the stuff she's been prescribed to when I've had some problems. And I don't do that no more because the, the one of the times I took some pills from her, I got real bad sick. I mean, it fucked me up. So when she says, well, take one of my pills, I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. <laughs> I ain't doing that shit no more. No, nah, I mean, look, if someone, if I got a headache and someone says, hey, man, I got some bare aspirin here. I mean, that's different. You can buy that over the counter, but you got to be careful taking shit that, you know, yeah, ain't I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll do the Aleve, the aspirin, Tylenol. I, I got no problem with that. But when you start giving me some fucking crazy shit that is prescribed, uh-uh, I ain't touching it. Yeah, and again, you know this, I know this. You would think a guy like Bruce would know that, and why would he even agree to, you know, well, you know, no way. You know, yeah, I got a headache, but it, it'll go away. I'll take a nap. You, that's what I usually do. If I have a bad headache, I take, you know, go to sleep for a little bit. When I wake up, it's usually gone. So, but... I mean, I just, and the bullet, like I said, how, how it's, you know, is no one who investigated this asking this question? How, how was this case like open fucking shut as an accident? Well, now supposedly, and I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, unsolved mysteries covered this once 
And they said what happened was that it had been a real gun at one point, and I guess they had been firing live bullets into it. Uh, and I guess what happened was that the top of the bullet lodged in the barrel. It never shot fully out of the gun. And they didn't realize this when they put blanks in the thing. And so when they fired the blank off, it kicked the real bullet out. And that's what killed Brandon Lee. All right. Now, if that happened, and there's no way for us to confirm that, then I flip my entire script and say curse. If that could be proved is what really happened, then it's curse. But with the forensics that we have available to us today, you mean to tell me they can't, couldn't tell if it was a full bullet or a bullet fragment? Please. please. They can get fingerprints off of fired bullets nowadays. They can tell you what trajectory the bullet came from to the millimeter. Yeah, but in 93, I don't think that they could. So I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I still, it still stinks a cover up to me. I'm not, you know, who knows how powerful these Chinese guys are? You know, I, I you know, honor bound. They, they take that shit seriously. So, yeah. Well, on a related note, before we wrap this up, they are rebooting the crow. Doesn't need to be rebooted. Well, they are rebooting it. And the guy that is the star of the new movie that just came out, Dracula Untold, Luke Evans. Now, is going to play the part of Eric Draven. He's going to be the crow. Uh, I wouldn't. So if, if strange things happen on the movie set of the crow, we'll know that there might be a supernatural uh, something going on there. I guess we'll just have to wait and see. I hope that nothing happens to Luke Evans. Yeah. Hopefully they'll take every precaution in the book. So... We'll see what happens, but uh, that's going to do it, man, for the Halloween edition of Conspiracy Theory, Unplugged CT. I want to say that I hope everybody has a safe and happy Halloween. If you go out trick-or-treating, be careful. If you drink, don't drive. And definitely keep the roads safe for the kiddos. Watch yeah. out for those guys and gals in those costumes. Man, even if you... Don't drink and do drive, especially to you New York drivers. Slow the fuck down. There's going to be a lot of kids out tomorrow. An extra five minutes isn't going to kill you. Just watch out. No doubt. Uh, I was thinking, man, what do you think about Monster Mash for Song of the Night tonight? Let's see. The most iconic Halloween party song ever written in the history of mankind. Yeah, sounds like a good way to end it. <laughs> All right, it's unanimous. You know what that means. We're going to play it. So, on behalf of uh, Bronxzilla, Tony J. Mirabella, I am Mr. Money on the mic, Jeff Jackson. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll see you next month for another edition of Conspiracy CT right here on the SNS Radio Network. Have a happy Halloween, and we'll see you guys again on Tuesday for another edition of Unplugged. Say good night, Tony. Good night, Tony. No, say good night. Oh, just good night. Yeah, well, you got to be more specific. I'm, I'm still not as experienced as you. Okay, good night, everyone. Uh, good night.
I was working in the lab late one night when my eyes beheld an eerie sight. For my monster from his slab began to rise, and suddenly, to my surprise, he did the mash. He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. For my love notari in the castle east To the master bedroom where the vampires feast The ghouls all came from their humble abodes To catch a jolt from my electrode They did the mash They did the monster mash The monster mash It was a graveyard smash They did the mash It caught on in a flash They did the mash He did the monster mash Zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and his son. The scene was rocking, oh, we're digging the sounds. He got on chains backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the monster mash. The monster mash. And it was a graveyard smash. They played the mash. It's caught on in a flash. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. Wow. Out from his coffin, Drax's voice did ring. Wow. Seems he was troubled by just one thing. Wow. Wow. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, wow. Whatever happened to my Transylvania twist? It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. It's now a graveyard smash. It's now a mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, tracks a part of the band. And my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them Boris sent you. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And do my graveyard smash Then you can mash You'll catch on with a flash Then you can mash Then you can monster mash Wow uh, Mash fool Easy, God, you impetuous young boy uh, Mash fool